Welcome to episode 224 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here. We're going to talk about Motley Crue, and not just a little bit, a lot. A lot. Yeah, a shitload. There should be a, fuck, there should be a pun right here, but I didn't even come prepared. Yeah. I guess. All, all the Motley Crue. Yeah, pretty much from beginning to end. Highlighted in 1994. That's right. No. <laughs> Big highlight. Yeah. Big motherfucking highlight. <laughs> But before we get into all this Motley Crew talk, we need to let you know that we are sponsored by DEB Concerts and Med Farm. Med Farm is a dispensary located in Broken Air, Oklahoma. They are off Highway 51, about halfway between Broken Air and Coweta. Get out there, check them out. They've got a huge selection, all kinds of stuff for you to choose from. And they also have a doctor on site every Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. If you need to get a card, you can get out there and do that. And then as soon as you have your card in hand, you tell them that Thunder Underground sent you and you'll get 10% off your order, which is great. That's right. That's awesome. We appreciate them doing that for us. And and, and they, they do the no-kill animal shelter thing. That's right. That's amazing. 30% of their profits go straight to that, which is amazing. No one does that. People are like, 10% of our profits go to this. No one says 30%. That's awesome. You think they take my goddamn cats? And not kill them? Yeah, I mean, they're, the little bitches are annoying the shit out of me, oh, but gotcha. I don't want them to die. Oh, gotcha. I'm sure they I mean, fuck, they're knocking shit over. We come home and there's something else broke. Fucking, you know, we're still, we still got a moving box or two to go through, and you'll open up a moving box and there's a fucking cat turd. Maybe Mel needs to go to Med Farm, <laughs> buy something, and give it to the cat so they chill the fuck the, out. Goddamn, no kidding. It's like, you little twats are killing us. What the <laughs> fuck? Get out of here. <laughs> But goddamn, I love them. You know, you can't fucking, what do you do, you know? Right. So anyways, just a nice little tie in there. That's right. <laughs> so, so yeah, check out Med Farm. Tell them Thunder Underground sent you. Go on Facebook, Med, P-H-A-R-M. Instagram is at MedFarmOK. And the website is MedFarmOK.com. That's right. DEB Concerts keeps bringing in amazing shows. To Tulsa and to Rocklahoma now as well. This year at Rocklahoma, they booked all the acts for the DNB Processing Roadhouse stage that included Lita Ford, Slaughter, Bisto Blanco, Strutter, Ace Freely, and a ton of regional bands as well. And then they keep bringing in amazing acts to the ideal barroom like Saxon, Slaughter, Dockin, Lynch Mob, Striper, Tom Kiefer, Sebastian Bach. Bisto Blanco once again. Oh, man. Um, Warrant. Jack Russell's Great White. A huge-ass long list that just keeps getting longer. Eddie Trunk hosts all these shows. That's right. The Amazing Ideal Ballroom always has an amazing, is an amazing place for a show. Great sound system, great crew, great facility. So get on the Streets Gone Wild page, follow them, so that way you will always be up to date on everything that's coming, and we let you know as soon as stuff is announced as well. Of course. All right, so Motley Crue, what we started doing here three, probably three years ago now, I think, two and a half, three years ago, we started this thing called Every Album in a Row. Every Album in a Row. And it was straight to YouTube, like a YouTube exclusive thing. And we did that for a while, but then now over time, just every few months, we take one of these old ones and throw them up on a podcast episode because it was never on... Our episodes where you could hear it anywhere you want. Yeah. 
So we kind of like bringing these old ones up, kind of just talking for a few minutes beforehand about what it was. And, you know, we started these things with Metallica just as like a one-off thing and then just decided, why don't we do this with a ton of bands we love? Yeah. So we did it with Megadeth and Guns N' Roses, Pantera, Van Halen, Ozzy. Huge list that's starting to get kind of huge. You know, I think we've done like 10 of them now, maybe. We did Kiss with CJ. Oof. From Grind. That we, was a lot. Yeah. We did uh, Stone Tomb of Pilots with Brandon from Driver. And, you know, we've got, we've been talking about one here for a few months now. We're going to do an Iron Maiden one with Jason Carroll yes. soon enough. But this Motley Crue one, we actually recorded right over two years ago. I looked it up. We posted it on YouTube mid-June of 2017. And here we are mid-June of 2019. I think a couple of these other ones we, you know, that we put back up something new had kind of out since, like well, Metallica, obviously. Yeah. But Motley Crue, they did actually, since we recorded this thing, they actually have some new music out because yeah. they released the soundtrack for the dirt. For the dirt, yeah. So just in a recap from that, which a lot of the stuff from the dirt soundtrack, you know, is obviously just the stuff we're going to talk about anyway from yeah. the other albums. But they had the song, The Dirt. Which I like. I don't give a fuck. Fuck off. Yeah, and they had the song, Like a Virgin. Which and, I thought was stupid. And, and Crash and Burn, I think, is the other new one. Yeah. Or Ride with the Devil as well. So there's four new songs. Yeah, first time I heard The Dirt, the song, I didn't like it. But it grew on me pretty quick. Yeah, that, that chorus of some catchy shit. Yeah. Um, in typical Vince No fashion. I like everything that guy puts out. If it's on, you know, if it's from a studio. Yeah. Right. Cause they can doctor it up and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I've never, never know. had a problem with anything. I've, I love almost all of Motley Crue's recorded music. Yeah. From beginning to end. You know, I even like, I'll talk about in this thing. I like new tattoo, all the stuff that a lot of people just kind of skipped over. Yeah. It's just, you know, of course, live's a different story, which you'll hear about us. I don't need to get into yeah. that right now, but so the dirt with Machine Gun Kelly, and the tie-in there, of course, is Machine Gun Kelly played Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee in the movie. In the, the movie, yeah. yeah. And then these other three songs, that Like a Virgin cover was pretty bad. Yeah, it was. Didn't That's something that we didn't really need in this world. No, it's not. So you probably won't find me listening to that pretty much ever again, unless someone else is forcing me to listen to it, yeah. I guess. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, we, we also did a dirt... Uh, like a review basically yeah. of, on our YouTube channel. So get on YouTube at the Thunder Underground. One of the videos on there is us talking about the movie. And so that's another thing we don't really need to rehash. You just need to go there to check that out. That's right. It's like a 10 minute review of the, the movie, the movie that came out here. What now it's a few months ago. Yeah. And we all, you know, went to a watch party at CJ and Paulette's house from grind fist of rage and name dropper. Hey, I'm just letting you know where we were and where we watched it. <laughs> you know, and also... Turn to Eddie Trunk. So, shit. Doug Burgess is going to kill us. <laughs> um, we love Doug Burgess and Eddie Trunk. You know, a side note real quick uh, before we get into this is since then, um, John Karabi released a live album of him doing the 94 record with his band right? Um, on Rat Pack Records. I have the cassette... Yeah. Because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's great, And you too. love cassettes. And I love cassettes, yeah. 
And so if that's if that's something you guys are into, go look that up. I mean, it's out on CD and well, we Spotify got, and all that. So. We got the chance to see that tour. Yes, we did. That was fucking back when the downtown a, lounge was yeah. still around. Yeah, shout out to Jake Thompson, downtown lounge. That was a great show. And well, we just mentioned Fist of Rage. They opened that yes, show. Yes, well. they sure did. And actually, right. grinded too, right? I can't remember. It's been so long. Because we saw Grind opening for, I'm pretty sure it was Crabby there. Anyway. Okay. All right. So all this shit just tied together. And just right? tying together like a motherfucker. I dig <laughs> it. But yeah, so that's a great one to check out. If not, I think, I don't know if we talked about it in this episode or not, but it was announced a long ass time ago that this Mick Mars solo album that's been in the works for a while. And I guess Karabi's supposed to be on it or something. Yeah, he was, I think he had said he did like two songs yeah. and it was like originally... Apparently, Big Mars was trying to get him to do more, but it wasn't the schedules wouldn't line up. But it's yeah. been so long now that they probably could have done that by now. Yeah, you know, Karabi's done what four or three Dead Daisies albums in the past four years. Yeah, exactly. Which are all also all phenomenal. Phenomenal. If you're not familiar with the Dead Daisies, that's what John Karabi's got going on now, and it's fucking great. So yeah, I mean, hopefully this Mick Mars album sees the light of day sooner than later because I'm really interested to. To hear Mick Mars out on his own, you know, because he's kind of a, he's the unheralded, yeah. most integral part of this band. Yep. Watching three idiots do dumb shit for the last 35 years. <laughs> right. One of the best memes ever. Yeah. So, well, yeah, let's just get into this. Like I said, it was recorded two years ago and we both love Molly Crew, but we both have a disdain for one of the members sometimes. So. <laughs> If you're a huge fan of Vince Neil, just, you know, bear through it. You know, I yeah. talk good about him as well as bad. So here you go. Motley Crue, every album in a row. Crew's got nine studio albums, and then they've got a slew of other songs as well. Yes, they had, sure do. We don't, you know, to give you some background if you haven't listened, what we do is we just listen to every studio album. We don't do greatest hits albums, obviously, and we don't do live albums. So in Motley Crue's case, when it came to Decade of Decadence, we listened to the studio songs, not the live songs. They've also got an EP, Courtenary, that came out with Karabi during that era. And then they've got the Demon, or the Supersonic and Demon Relics, which had a few extra songs that weren't on those two albums. And then they had a few other, you know, extra tracks on Greatest Hits and later on in the career. So, before we even get into this, I want to make a statement. Gotcha. For myself. Let's hear it. Because I know a lot of people that are listening to this, you know, have never heard us in their life, maybe. And there's some people that have heard us but don't know us very well. Yeah. But there's going to be people listening to this that know us. Yes. And I've garnered a reputation over the years. You sure have. As being a guy that people think does not like Vince Neil. And in typical fashion, people hear one thing or read one thing and then run with it. It's yeah. like the headline thing on the internet. The Yeah, they word. just need one statement, yeah. one sentence. You read a no headline. Explanation. Yeah, you get up, been out of shape, you never read the article, right? Yeah. Well, here's the article from me. Okay. I fucking love Vince Neil. Not, you know, as a live singer, 
we'll get to that here in a second. But I, you know, and I don't love him personally. I'm sure he's uh, beat up women and killed guys from great bands, but that's not here or there. What oh, I'm talking Jesus. about is I love Vince Neil as a musician, as a studio artist. Mm-hmm. I love everything Motley Crue's ever done, even the stuff people don't like, like we'll get to, you know, after he came back. I love most all of that stuff, too. But when it comes to the live performance, he's second to none as far as being the worst live vocalist I've ever seen. Well, let me rephrase that. He's second. The guy from Theory of a Dead Man's worse than Vincent. <laughs> but that's what I'm trying to say is I can't. I've made countless statements about how horrible it is to see Motley Crue live. And I know there's millions of people out there, obviously, that don't agree with me because Motley Crue as a band is great live. There's three guys on stage that are doing their job extremely well. They put on a great stage show, but there's one guy up there that just ruins the whole thing for me. And I know there's a lot of people out there like you that agree with that as well. I do. I mean, I I, I don't, I don't know. I can only, uh, well, it it didn't used to be like this. Yeah. I mean, once we were able to see him, when I, when I saw him to the early nineties before he left. Basically, yeah. When I when I saw them in the what was it the late nineties, early two thousands, yeah, even maybe then. on their greatest hits tour at Brady Theater, and they were great. They were fucking amazing. Vince was great, but something happened along the way. I don't know if it's I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess it's well, people blame a lot of people. Just every, blame, you see, it just seems every other word. Well, people would always blame like, oh, he got fat. And I'm like, that's not it. There's uh, it there's tons matter. of. There's tons of guys out there that are overweight and sing their ass off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just... It, it's like he stopped giving a fuck. Yeah, I know. And, and and people... And it's like... I I think it's like people love that band so much they just want to ignore that fact. Yeah. You know, like if... You're going for the experience, you're drunk or something. Even yeah. if you're not, you're hearing all these songs you love. Exactly. Like if... You know, if James Hetfield, you know, took a dump vocally, <clears throat> I wouldn't care. Yeah. I'd still go see it because I'm a rabid Metallica fan. But well, I mean, case in point, you know, I saw Guns N' Roses in that period, you know, whenever who was with him, Bumblefoot, DJ Ashba, and yeah. these guys a couple times. And a lot of people bitched about Axel's performance in that time, and mm-hmm. I had no problem with it. And that's probably because I'm, that's yeah. my favorite band. <laughs> so yeah, I could see where that come from, but still, you can't argue the fact that Vincent <coughs> is just not good live. Now, oh, I know. Nowadays, but hey, that's not the point of what we're doing here. I just wanted to point that out and let people know that I love this guy's music. Yes, definitely. And the thing is, is when it's Vince, when you hear when you when you hear Vince Neil's voice, like on record, you know it's him. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> he's so got a great. Yeah, yeah. I even love his solo albums. I had the first two. I even I even had. I didn't ever buy. Tattoos and Tequila, but I like that song. I know it had a bunch of covers on it, but I like all this stuff. Carved in stone, bitch. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, getting on to Motley Crue itself, like I said, roughly 10 albums, 126 songs. The first song being 1981, Too Fast for Love, kicked off with Livewire. Yes. And in my opinion, this is Motley Crue's best song of all time. It's my favorite Song with Vince Neil on vocals. I'll get to what that means later on. But I I think it's, you could say, you know, I can say that it's their best song of all time. I, I you know, I have to agree. These first couple of, you know, I, I mean, I don't mean to jump ahead so soon, but 
these first two albums, especially this first album, it's so raw and just full of energy and just full of dirt and attitude. And it's almost like they're going in more of like a like a Judas Priest kind of direction almost. You know, you didn't get a like a you didn't get a fluffy hair metal vibe until maybe the third record. Yeah. Uh, because it was just mean and raw and black leather and, you know, just loud, rude riffs and um that's all over this album. It's yeah. such a great fucking it's such a great fucking time listening yeah. to this record. It's funny I wrote down on my notes extremely raw. Yeah. Yeah, I mean come <laughs> because, on. And like you said, I didn't even think about that with Proust, but I you know, you catch that that they're always thrown in that hairband category, eighties metal or whatever, but they they didn't sound like that really. They just sounded like we said, just like this raw hard rock band and yeah. those first two albums, but especially Too Fast for Love, every single song on it is good. Yeah, I mean it was mean and scary, not yeah, not poofy and lipsticky. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? But like, I mean, you could just name every single song on it, you know, and then like Mick Mars' opening riff on well, not just Livewire, but uh, Too Fast for Love, yeah. the title track. It just like that's a riff that's stuck in your head for hours after you hear exactly. it. Exactly. And then the songs like. Public Enemy Number One and Toast of the Town Toast and the Town, definitely. Starry Eyes and Piece of Your Action. It's just it's one of those all killer no fillers, and it sure is. And you can say, I mean, when you think about in the huge picture of rock and roll, there's a lot of bands that have two albums that kick off their career that are fantastic. Yeah, but there's also their reason for that word sophomore slump because a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you think of like. Pantera or Skid Row or Tesla or Led Zeppelin or, you know, bands like that that have those two albums, Metallica, they kick off their career that are fantastic fucking albums. Motley Crue's right there with that. And, you know, Shout at the Devil's no different. It it almost took what you said, that scariness, to another level, obviously, because of that cover, because of the videos, because of the pentagram. You know, back then in 1983, that's... A huge deal. Yeah, it was. It if was you did it like, now, it'd be like, what the fuck ever, right? Yeah, back then, and and they, they had it everywhere. Yeah. So it was just really... In the it, fire. And yeah, all it was just controversial, and it worked for them. But, you know, looks that kill. Yeah. You know, Helter Skelter was badass. I mean, Bastard. Too Young to Fall in Love was badass. I mean, it just kept with that raw, nasty, you know, mean fucking vibe. Yeah. And I love that guy... Too young to fall in love in 10 seconds to love. When you hear those titles and think about this era, <laughs> you think they're going to be something totally different than they are. Yeah. And the first three songs on that album are as good as three songs to kick off an album that there's ever been. Yeah. You know, with, with Shout, Looks to Kill, and Bastard. What you just yeah. named Bastard is one of those unheralded deep cuts that is one of their best songs ever as well. Then Red Hot's great, Danger, Knock Him Dead Kid. That's just another every single song album that you can't go wrong with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you alluded to theater earlier in 1985. <clears throat> we got Theater of Pain. And throughout my life, I've built it up in my head that this album was horrible. Because yeah. I used to think, you know, when I was younger, I was like, eh, hey, that's my least favorite Molly Crew album. And it still is that way, probably. Yeah. But... It's been, I'm talking since I was young that I listened to this thing full through, so I was kind of anxious to 
see what I thought. And I was happy that my thoughts kind of changed because when I hear it now, it's like, this isn't that bad. Really? It's not. The thing is, it's not anywhere as near as good as the two albums before. The two albums came after it. Mm -hmm. But it's not bad. Yeah. It's decent enough. Well, you know, you had Smoking in the Boys Room and Home Sweet Home were the singles of the big songs on that record. And, you know, I listened to it, you know, kind of like you said, coming back to it. It, it still didn't do much for me. It really yeah. didn't. I mean, I'm not it was, saying it did anything for me. I'm just saying I yeah, don't think it's yeah. bad. <laughs> See, I still think it's bad. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and be the dick on this one. All right. Well, yeah, the only song... It songs, just wasn't that memorable. I mean... <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't... Those first two albums, every single song... Raise made, Your Hands to Rock was okay. I don't know, you know? Keep Your Eye on the Money and Tonight We Need a Lover, I think, are good. Yeah. And, of course, Home Sweet Home is great. I mean, that's literally one of those all-time great power yes. ballads in my yeah. opinion. Oh, yeah, it is. And But the problem is that the original one on Theater Pain is a great song, but it's real thin and dated sounding. Mm-hmm. And then that one that they put on Decade of Decadence, <coughs> where they re basically re-recorded it, it sounded huge, Way better, yeah. bigger, thicker, just more badass. And that's the song that became... That was the song on radio from that point forward. You never heard that old version again. Yeah, oh, never. And it's yeah. even like if you pull this up on Spotify, it's got all the original tracks, but it's got that version planted that, on there. So it's kind funny. of, they might even replace it on the physical copies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've never checked it. But anyway, I mean, that was 85 and that wasn't, wasn't horrible, but everybody's got one of those albums, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, they have another one we'll get to in a bit, but. <laughs> um, 87 brought Girls, Girls, Girls. Yes, it did. And it's kind of a return to form a little bit, yeah. in my opinion. But in something we didn't mention is Motley Crue is one of those bands, you know, kind of like the cult or something where every album, the image and the sound changed a little bit, but you still knew who you're listening to. Yeah, definitely. So every, every album that comes out has a theme and something's a little bit different. And Girls, 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 they switched from that, you know... Fluffy glam thing you said to the, you know, the biker, you know, let's fucking party and fuck bitches, which is what they always were, but now that's the image. Yeah, I mean, you had Wild Side and Girls, Girls, Girls. What a way to kick off a record. Yeah. You know? Yeah, arguably two of their most well-known songs, and Wild Side, I put that up there in the top, probably top ten. That's right. And, you know, overall, I think when you look at the album in a whole... It's not as good as those first two. It's exactly. not as good as the one that's coming next, but it's still way better in theater, and it's a great, yes. it's a good album. Yeah, it is definitely something for nothing. Rodeo, which was that track they added on like the later copy, I think. Yeah, and in you're all I need. I think is one of their great ballads. You know, that's just one of those um, deep cuts, and I think that's the one. Isn't that the one they made the video for that got banned? Oh, I have no idea. Like I remember seeing it years later, but you know we were too young at that point to know probably because we were eighty seven, we were ten. But I think I think there was something about you know because that song's talking about like killing someone right that you're in love with. Like oh, I have no idea. I remember right, but like I think there was some kind of video that you know, (laughs) at least in nineteen eighty seven, by these days standards, it might not be controversial at all. Yeah. Regardless, we'll have to look that up. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) That's a new one on me for sure. Yeah. Well, 1989 brought Dr. Feelgood. It sure did. And I know for me, I'm pretty sure for you too, this is where I got introduced as a kid. 
Yeah, it really was for me. I mean, and, and even... Because <clears throat> we were around 12, 13 at this yeah, time. I, actually, um, I'll go ahead and say I, I, I knew of this band. I mean, obviously. Uh, but I, I didn't even really get introduced to them around this time. It was more um, decade of decadence when, you know, the... But I'm skipping ahead, so we'll go ahead and talk about <laughs> Dr. Feelgood. Well, I remember, you know, this is one of those albums where, like, stuff's all over the radio. You know, like, yeah, you know, not was, to the extent was, maybe Hysteria was, but it's it's close. Yeah, it had singles, which, you know, the other albums didn't have that many singles. And it was just, it, it exploded. It was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, the, Everybody had this record, you know. Yeah, the two albums that preceded it had, like, you mentioned two big songs on both of them that were mm-hmm. on the radio. Yeah. And... This one, it hit, you know, the title track, Kickstart My Heart, Without You, Same Old Situation, Don't Go Away Mad. Um, I might be forgetting some. Those were all like big radio songs. Yeah. And this is one of those albums that, you know, for me, I know like a huge Motley Crue fan is always going to go to Shout as their favorite or maybe Too Fast. But to me, this is just like, since this is where I got introduced to it, this is one of those albums I could listen to. Straight through always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, as far as production-wise goes, it's so much huger than everything that it preceded it. And we know that's probably because Bob Rock got in there and that's right. took it to another level. It's, you know, overall, it's got more of a, like a party feel to it. It does. It you know, does. It, even when you think of like Girls, Girls, Girls or something, this, like, look at every song that wasn't a single. Like, Slice of Your Pie, Rattlesnake Shake, She Goes Down. <clears throat> All these songs are like... They got like this swagger, this groove, this um, party vibe, you know, and every single song is like catchy and memorable. Yeah. There's like no filler track in this at all. Yeah, I know. I mean, they just, this was a home run all the way. And this album contains my favorite Motley Crue song with Vince. Is it Don't is, Go Away Man? Yes. <laughs> nice. That is my absolute favorite song with Vince. Um, it's probably I mean, my second favorite song in my bar. <clears throat> That song just grabbed me from the minute, I, you know, from the first note. Um, I, I just just love that song. I mean, it's one of my favorite songs ever. Um, to you know, quote Jerry Miller, it's the perfect mid-tempo groove. Groove-laden gro- groove rocker. rocker. Yeah, groove-laden. And that's what it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like uh, just I just backed up what you said. I mean, there's no filler. You know, this thing was all just, you know, it was all deadly all the time. You know, we all had it. We all had it memorized. Yeah. You know, even the time for change and she goes down and sticky sweet. I mean, did we all had that shit yeah. memorized? Didn't when I was matter. thirteen and listening to she goes down, I'm like, man, this is like, I want to grow up and be these guys. Yep. Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, it's like, you mean women will suck your dick? <laughs> what? Right. I didn't know they did that. <laughs> well, kickstart my heart. Like I would like wait for that to come on the radio, and then yeah. I then I got to the point where I pulled out the cassette and recorded it off the radio, and I I would listen to that song like ten times in a row when I was like thirteen. Yeah, like that's how much I loved it. Like there was a point where it was probably my favorite song in the world, <laughs> and and then like you said, don't go away mad. I remember I had the the cassette for this for the album, but then I went to some. I don't know what it was. It was some kind of like company event, like outdoor event with Matt Ballesta, mm-hmm. like with his, his sister where she worked. Like she had us go along and they were giving out 
prizes. And this, for some reason, sticks with me. One of the things I won was the Don't Go Away Mad cassette single. Yes. The cassette single. <laughs> yeah. And it had time for change on the flip side, if I remember right. Okay. And uh, mentioning Matt Ballesta, this was like one of his favorite songs when we were young. And he would listen to this fucking song so much that it's the only song in the album that I don't want to hear now. Yeah. But when I heard it doing this, I'm like, okay, it's been a long enough time. I can listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's awesome. But one thing we should mention probably before we get like, you know, we're getting kind of deep into this thing. Yeah. Is... You've got four guys, you know, that are all four recognizable, all four household names when it comes to hard rock. But you've got three guys that are like instantly recognized to people even outside of like big fans of this. Yeah. And the person that's unheralded is the reason this band's so fucking great. Yeah. Is Mick Mars. That's right. It's like his guitar tone in like every album like changes, but it's so fucking great every time. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before. He's one of the most underrated guitarists in rock and roll history, probably. Yeah, he is. He's he never a, he's gets a pillar. Listed, he never gets listed as those. I know. You know, great hard rock guitarists. You know, like it, you know, and we'll get to some more shit in a minute. But I like, mean, he just had just raw balls. Hashtag raw balls. <laughs> That's what it was. And you know, it's just and and, and when you talk about just the four of them, uh, you know, we've seen that picture a million times. <clears throat> Mick Mars watching three morons do stupid shit for 30 years. <laughs> and it's the goddamn truth. It really is. Right. Yeah. Well, and another thing to mention is if anyone out there didn't know that on, I know he might have said it before, but I know Bob Rock said on Eddie Trunk's podcast when he was on there that whenever they were going in to record the Black album, Lars told him that he wanted his drums to sound like Tommy Lee's drums on Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. And he said, but just don't tell anybody that. <laughs> you know, so I guess he waited 25 years to tell someone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can do it now. Yeah. Why not? Well, the next album up was Decade of Decadence. And yes. This album was half live songs, a few B-sides, a few covers, and a few new songs. Yeah. And... um a lot of times when bands put out albums like that where it's like a conglomeration of stuff and it's what it sounds like is a conglomeration of stuff. And, you know, we didn't listen to those live songs because we're, you know, for this deal. Yeah. I used to listen to them a ton when I was a kid. But anyway, you've got all the studio tracks on this are great. Yeah, like we said are. earlier, it's got that re-recorded version of Home Sweet Home. But then it's got two songs that are arguably in the top five of their best songs ever. Definitely, definitely. With Angela and Primal Scream. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Primal Scream is that that's another one up there. Don't go away mad. I mean, that's just yeah. talk about a fucking home run. I yeah. mean, that showed you where they were going. Exactly. I mean, Tommy Lee's drums, his drumming on that song was just it was just a ball smasher. Like I said earlier, this is this is when I really stood up and took notice. Because, you know, you were seeing Primal Scream on Headbangers Ball. You were seeing Home Sweet Home, the re-recorded version. You know, and, and I really took notice. And that's... <coughs> excuse me. Primal Scream is really what got me. And that's when I went back. And just, I, I thought, okay, these guys are great. Let me see what's up. And I went back and, and rediscovered all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, like you said, you kind of saw with Primal Scream where they were going. And it was like, 
you know, we'll get to the next album here in a second. And uh, there is absolutely not a single ounce of me that wishes that didn't happen. But like, yeah. um, you could only imagine like if what the next album with Vince would have been like yeah. if it was shit like this. Yeah, exactly. And no, we didn't even tell you know I mentioned Angela, but this is just like the one of the most perfect feel good songs in like rock history. Yeah, you know that most people don't even know. Yeah, it's it's heavy, but it's like catchy and fun at the same time. It's just yeah. great, just like a love song, but it's just like full on rock. You exactly. Know? And, and it was in the office. Gotta yeah, love it. I was about to say like it was the final or the second final episode of the office. Yeah, when Dwight and Angela were getting married. Yeah. And- and I, I remember, I think you saw it first. I'm like, you're not going to believe what they played on The Office. I know. Yeah. Well, it's like somebody that worked on that show had to be a fucking like... They're like our age. Motley Crue dork. Either they're a huge Motley Crue fan or they're like late 30s or up, you know, yeah. to even know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah. But, you know, talk about the covers like Rock and Roll Junkie, Teaser, and Anarchy in the UK. All three of those are fantastic. Oh, I know. And yeah. I almost like... You know, I might catch some shit for this, but I almost like their version of Anarchy in the UK better than Megadeth or anybody. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank now, but I know several I, I bands. Like. <clears throat> I know several bands redid this. Like Green Jelly did their, you know, weird cover of it. But then, yeah. like, I know I'm forgetting someone else. But anyway. I, I like their version of it better than Megadeth. So I'll give them that much. Okay, cool. I mean, I get that. So yeah, you know, Sex Pistols probably hate both versions, <laughs> right? But anyways, <laughs> the only yeah, the only thing is you can tell like they had Vince try to sing a little more, sound a little like that, whereas he would have just sang the whole thing like Vince knew. Yeah, which he did on part of it, but there were parts in the chorus and stuff where he was like having that kind of trying to go for that English punk sound. Yeah, well, that's gonna be hard for Vince Neil, <laughs> right? But all those songs. Flowed well coming out of Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. And pretty much any of those songs sounded like they could have been on that album as well. And they don't sound like they were just leftover tracks they threw on this compilation album. They're all quality enough that they could have been on that album, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's whenever, shortly after this is whenever he either left or got fired. Whoever side you believe, I guess. Yep. And then 1984... 1994, sorry. Five albums, five years after Dr. Feelgood, the self-titled album came out. That's right. With John Karabi on vocals. Exactly. And hence one of our favorite albums in the history of any fucking recorded fucking thing ever was born. Yeah, both of us agree on that. Yes. Um, Where to start here? I remember, you know, I was a big Motley Crue fan at this point. Yeah. And people were all upset, obviously, because the voice of Motley Crue has gone. And I remember when it happened, you know, reading about it in magazines and all that stuff. I was like, man, this sucks. You know, I hope whatever they get is going to be good. And I actually, I think I was one of the rare people that knew this guy before Motley Crue. Because Lonnie Walters, who I brought up on the Pantera episode. Yes. Because he introduced me to Pantera. <laughs> well, he also introduced me to The Scream. And, you know, there was a point where I, he had got all these albums and I guess he decided, you know, he was moving on to something other than like 80s rock because he gave me like a stack of albums, you know, of like Spread Eagle and Bo Nasty. And one of which was The Scream. And there was several other ones. In yeah. There. yeah. But 
I'm like, man, this is badass. But I, you know, I never thought at the point when I heard it, I'm like, I love this guy beyond the, you know, infinity of, you know, the ends of the earth like I do now, <laughs> if that makes sense. But um, I just thought this is great stuff. And then when that came out, I remember the first time I heard Hooligans Holiday on the radio when mm-hmm. they debuted it. And I don't know what other people thought when they first heard it, but I just thought it was fucking great. And I guess I was young enough that I was like, you know, not like set in my ways enough that I was pissed off. You were willing to go on yeah. that journey with the crew. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, you know, I remember hearing Hooligans Holiday and I was just like, wait. <laughs> hands out like whoa right what's going on here i mean i was it was just like now this is the fucking crew and i don't care what anyone says it's like that guy that put a comment on our van halen about we don't know what the hell we're talking about well eat a dick go start your own fucking youtube channel that's what i think <laughs> and this is what i think about john Krabi is this is the best fucking motley crew album and i mean this is it's the best riffs it's the best uh Tommy Lee's best performance on anything ever. I mean, this album just, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I, I get overwhelmed. I don't even know what, what to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it took it to another <clears throat> level of heaviness. You know, the, everything was thicker and broader and bigger yep. and badder, even more than Dr. Feelgood was. Yeah. And maybe that's because, you know, Krabi was there playing guitar as well. Yeah. But I mean, that's not necessarily the case because... You can layer guitars anytime you want in a yeah, studio. I know. But, and plus you had, up to this point, Nikki Six was the primary writer. And now he had Karabi writing with him. Yeah. And so that obviously had something to do with taking this to the level it went to. Yeah. And I'm the same way. I think it's their best album. And it's one of my favorite albums it, of all time. It never gets old. You yeah. never have to skip around. I mean, it is just, I mean, Poison Apples, yeah. Power to the Music, uh, Smoke the Sky. It's like, God damn, you know, it's just insane. Um, dropping Like Flies and the solo on that from yeah. McMars is badass. Yeah, I mean, it's just they tapped into something that I I, I don't know. You're, you're just not going to tap into every day. Right. And they really did, in my opinion. Yeah, and the... Drift Away, which is at the end of this, yeah. is like one of the best ballads you'll ever hear. Yep. Living in the Know, which was like the bonus track later on. Love Shines. I mean, yeah. even for a, you know, more of a mellow acoustic type kind of thing, it was badass. With ki- killer fucking drums. Yeah. I mean, like I said the other day, I'd like to hear... Uncle Jack. Yes. I'd like to hear Tommy Lee's just drum tracks, you know... Uh, <coughs> What's that word? Just just alone, standalone, isolated. Yeah. I, I mean, that would be amazing. Well, what you know? Because I mean, you're more of you're a musician. I'm not, and I know you've explained it before. But like, so what is it about his drums on this that make him better than everything else he did before? First off, I'm not a musician. I'm a guy that knows. Well, you play. Chords gu- on the you know guitar. how to play a guitar, and you've been in a band, and you know drums. Yeah. But it, I mean, it was just something about just his. Just his decisions on where to go and and you know what to put that where and he's always in this pocket and you know um, he's all there's just this groove and and it's just this attitude that makes you just go fuck <laughs> you know it's it's 
it's not built on speed, you know, and it's not that he's the most talented drummer out there. But just something about, you know, that attitude and, and just guts. Um, it, it's, it's like an intangible deal. It really is. And he's always had it. Um, you know, I listen to the drums on the wild side. I mean, it's just badass. But I mean, it's just something about this one is that he really just, you know, I, it was just soaking wet, just attitude. And, you know, I, I just really hope that people out there listening can understand that. Maybe not, but I mean, I mean, it was just such a joy to listen to. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, another thing you always hear people saying, it's like, I like this album, but I wish they would have changed their name. And oh, Fuck that. Yeah, that's bullshit. It's just, bands don't do that. That's happened in history a few times, but... And it never goes Never anywhere. at this level. I mean, yeah, a band exactly. that was at this level, I mean. I mean, look, you know, people are going to say you can't compare John Cravey to Sammy Hagar or Brian Johnson, but I'm going to, you know, not because he's <laughs> yeah. achieved that level of stardom or success, but because... It's the same exact thing, regardless of whether there's a success or not. Yes. ACDC didn't change the name. Van Halen didn't change the name, and they didn't need to. Yeah. It's like Motley Crue, sure, most of the songs on here didn't sound like anything they had done previously, but it's still Motley Crue. It's still three of the four guys. That's and, right. You know, you've got shitloads of bands out there, whether it's right or not, touring with one guy left, and three out of four is pretty good in most of these cases. Yeah. And Vince Neil wasn't even the goddamn strong point of the band anyways. Yeah, I mean, he had it, like we said, he has a recognizable, a great rock voice, but he didn't, Dickie Six wrote these damn songs. Yeah. And Mick Mars is the backbone of this fucking thing with his guitar sound. And of course, Tommy Lee, one of the best, you know, rock drummers out there. That's right. So, sure, they could have changed the name and maybe had some moderate success, but I don't think it would have done any more than it they did with this. And, you know, maybe, you know, we kind of talked about this a little on a podcast we got coming up with Travis from the W Door, and he kind of mentioned that, but he also said he, it really would have been cool with the same thing we thought if they would have just rode this out for a bit yeah. and try to do another album or two yeah, and just see, you know, like we mentioned with Gary Sharon and Van Halen, see where it would have went. Yeah. And that would have been great, but at the end of the day, I understand why they did it because oh, yeah. Nikki Six is like great and rock star and you know cool as he tries to portray himself at the end of the day he's the second coming of gene simmons and he's a businessman first and foremost before he is a musician and he knows when the record label said we'll get behind you if you get vince neal back that's what we need to do because that's what people want to hear yep and you know at the end of the day that sucks for us because we love john karabi but i'm not like in the corner crying like a bitch because I also like Vince Neil. Yeah. There you go. And it's like, and the only, you know, not long after that, Karabi started Union with Bruce Kulik. Yes. Brent Fitz. And they had a couple great albums. And then after that, he kind of like didn't do a lot. You know, he did stuff here or there, but you didn't hear from him for a long time up until, you know, maybe 10 years after that. And then he started getting back out there in the last five or six years, he's had a lot of stuff come out. So, like, as a fan, I'm really fucking glad that he's well, back out here pumping <coughs> studio music out, you know, whether it be his solo stuff, Dead Daisies. Yeah. Whatever. Well, he did rap for a while. You can't forget about well, that. Well, that's true, but yeah. there was no recorded shit. No, no, no. <laughs> no, true, true. You're right. Well, well, before we get to the point of him getting kicked out, they released Quartinary. Yes. 
which when you think about it, this is a really cool idea that I would, I wish other bands would do what they did, you know, is they released an EP with five songs and four of them were basically each guy doing their own song, how they wanted to do it. Yeah. And then the fifth one was just, I think a leftover track, baby yeah. kills. It sounds like yeah. the 94 album. Yeah, it's a fucking great song. Yeah. Yeah. But the four songs they each, you could, you, if you didn't see the name of the song, I mean, or you didn't know whose song it was, you can tell each one which guy wrote this, yeah. if you know Motley Crue. And the easy standouts are obvious, is the fucking uh, Mick Mars song. Yeah. The other three, you know, I like the Krabby one, but it's just sounds like he's trying to be the Beatles, and it doesn't sound anywhere near as good as his later, his more recent stuff that he's done after Motley Crue. The Nikki Six one is just kind of a, fucking weird thing it's yeah. not bad but it's not great the tommy lee one of course we don't even really want to get into that <laughs> you you can if you want no i'm good i'm good <laughs> but that bittersweet you know it's called bittersweet the mick mars song is just this awesome blues rock guitar thing and yeah. it's just fucking phenomenal yeah i can't wait for that guy to put out a solo album yeah it'll be insane that's the other thing to mention if you didn't know that he's been working on this thing for now over a year and he brought in Robbie <clears throat> yeah. to do at least two songs, I think it was. Yeah. Yep. So, and I don't know who he's got on vocals for other songs, but if it's anything like Bittersweet or even like his stuff with Motley Crue, it's going to be great. That's all right. Well, after the Vince Neil came back, 1997, they released Generation Swine. Uh. <laughs> and I know you don't care for this. I, there's parts of it I don't care for, but I still like it as a whole. Yeah. You know, taking out the shitty parts. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> when this came out, I listened to the shit out of it all the time. Yeah. You know, back in 97. And they they kind of continued with that harder edge that they had built with Karabi. But with Vince back, you know, not everything was that way and it. It wasn't anything like Primal Scream or that direction they might have been going. But I don't think people liked the idea of Vince being back and it still not being Motley Crue. So yeah. it still wasn't any more well, successful yeah, than the 94 album. The, you know, they did. They tried to do, well, look, on this song, let's be like this kind of band that's out now. Yeah, that's a good point. On this next song, let's be like this kind of band that's out now. Yeah. I really think, you know, Afraid was, was decent, Let Us Pray was good, and then the rest of it, you know, just put in the fucking bargain bin, man. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I can't deal with it. It was painful listening to it. I really like Find Myself. I really like Let It Pray. Let It Pray, I think, was one of the ones that John Crabby wrote with yeah. Nikki Six, and I think Find Myself might have been too, but I'm not positive. Yeah. The it title was, track is yeah. really cool. It's just this, like, two-minute long punk sounding thing. Yeah. There's just a lot of you know. Let's let's it's be very sporadic. Yeah, let's yeah, spastic or whatever. Let's be punk here. Let's yeah. be rock here. Let's be industrial here. There's no real identity to this record. So it's almost like they were going for like hopefully one of these songs hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, glitter. Come on. You know, I'd rather glitter's our second worst song of all time. I'd rather put a butter knife up my pee hole than listen to that <laughs> song again. I know. I mean, fucking fuck. But I remember when Afraid was out. Back then, listen to the album. I didn't like it. At least I, I was not afraid. You know, I was like, yeah, it's not too bad. But I mean, listening to it now, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. I'm like, what was I thinking? I don't know. But, yeah, I like the little bass intro and stuff. I yeah. liked that song. 
Confessions is a song that is like nothing like crew and it's like real kind of I don't even know how to describe it, but for some reason I fucking love that song. Yeah. It's probably my favorite song in the album, which sounds weird as shit, but it's I love that song. And then at the end of the album is their worst song ever. Oh god. And it's like you hate <clears throat> saying that because it's like, okay, this dude wrote a song about his little kid. But it's just come on. Put some fucking effort into it, you know? Yeah. The song Brandon, written and sung by Tommy Lee. And Tommy Lee is not a bad singer. You know, his solo album that came out later had some good songs. The song on it. was good. Yeah. But Brandon, you know, that song Brandon, just a two word review. Shit sandwich. Shit sandwich. <laughs> I got something I want to say. I just want to, I just wonder, do you think now that Brandon is like 20 some years old, he looks back and says, What the fuck were you thinking, Dad? <coughs> no, because he's like, Oh, yeah, my dad's Tommy Lee. Who gives a fuck? That's true. That's a good yeah. point. <laughs> just saying. Well, what were your thoughts on one of the last songs on this was the Shout at the Devil 97, the remake of Shout at the Devil? I thought they should <laughs> never have even touched that. I right? mean, what was the fucking point? It's just they just tried to do a faster, more, you know, it even had that industrial tendency yeah, to it. Yeah, well, version, I, you know? it makes me want to fart. I can't stand <laughs> it. Fuck it. I remember they performed it on like Leno or Letterman. Mm. But I don't remember if it was good or not on there. But Next. Right. Well, next up, the next year, in 98, they released their first Greatest Hits album, and it had two new songs on it called Bitter Pill and Enslaved, yes. and both these songs are better than everything on Generation No kidding. 20. No kidding. And it's like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Vince is back. I get it. Yes. Yeah. Now they're like, okay, let's write <clears throat> Molly Crew songs. Yes. What we were talking about, we are just trying the, to... You know, they were catchy. They were heavy. They kind of had that attitude that, you know, you really... Liked from from early Molly Crew. Yeah, I think Enslaved is definitely the better song of the two, but Bitter Pill is great. It's got that great yeah that's guitar sound that McMars has, and that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think I think both those songs would have fit good on Doctor Feel Good. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of yeah they have that sound of that era, Doctor Feel yes, Good, and the, yes. the decade stuff. Well, in the very next year in '99, they released. Um, Supersonic and Demon Relics and this was an album that had the songs from Decade to Decadence the studio songs it had the songs from Quartinary mm-hmm. and then it had several other unreleased studio songs and maybe some new ones I'm not sure but that song Monstrous is just a piece of shit <laughs> I'm talking like <clears throat> Glitter, Brandon and then Monstrous those are the top three words. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't even remember that song. That's it just—it was so bad it yeah. stuck out, you know, to me. <laughs> but literally, every song on this album that is not from Courtenary or Decade of Decadence just aren't good. It's weird. Yeah. It's like okay, now you're putting out the stuff that every other band puts out just to fill a fucking you know compilation album. Because so this is the first time they finally released a bunch of crap that shouldn't have been released. Well, besides Generation Swine, in your opinion, I guess. But. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is, they're panning it out like they're like it's the 70s or 80s now because we got 97, 98, 99, and then 2000, four years in a row they had products out. Yep. 2000 was the next new album, the, the second album with Vince Back, yeah. which was New Tattoo. New Tattoo. And this is the first album to not feature Tommy Lee. Yes. Randy Castillo was on drums. So they at least replaced him with someone of equal greatness. Yes. Even probably more greatness when you get down to technical ability. Well, I don't true. Know. But true. Tommy Lee's still more of a attitude guy, like mm-hmm. I said. 
Um, this one's tricky. I mean, a lot of you always people just blow this off. And don't even, I got it when it came out, just like every other one. I liked right. it. I still like it, but it's not up there with the great stuff. But overall, they obviously were like, okay, this sh- generation swine shit didn't work. Yeah, let's try to go back to our glory days. Yeah, well, and it almost sounds like they're trying to go back to glory days. Hell in High Heels is good. Yeah. You know, uh, I you know I liked Punched in the Teeth by Love. Yeah, it's that's the one that sounds most like the early yeah. Motley Crue. Yeah, I mean, uh, this this album had some good moments on it. Yeah, I like the the title track, that ballad, New Tattoo. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, that's a good one. And even their cover of White Punks on Dope, you know, it's like it's not the greatest thing there ever was, but it's memorable enough, I think, and. But I mean, overall, it's a, it's a good album, but it's not anything I ever think when I think Molly Crew. Oh shit, I need to go listen to New Tattoo. Yeah, right? yeah, true, true. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, <coughs> but it was it was a good return to form, and 2000 was probably a good year to do that because the 90s was a weird time where they were trying to. Yes. All these other bands were like not succeeding in the mid 90s from that era, you know, outside of one or two, and. So they went for it, and in 2000, they're just like, fuck it, let's go back to what got us here and see if it hits, and it probably, it still wasn't really commercially successful, but it probably appeased a lot of fans. Yes. And I guess the next new song they came out with was five years later, they released this pile of shit version of Home Sweet Home with Chester Bennington on vocals. (laughs) What's your take on this? Same thing. Why would you fucking do that? (laughs) Yeah. Just uh, sell some fucking copies of it, get yeah. younger people into you. But yeah, I mean, same thing. I, that was probably a know. Nikki thing. Like, hey, let's get Chester on this and make some fucking cash. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I hope they did. Good for yeah. them. Well, three years later, in two thousand eight, Saints of Los Angeles came out. Yes, and this is the the final full album of music, and. Easily the best album with Vince since he came back. Oh, definitely. And I'd put it above theater. I'd almost put it above Girls, Girls, Girls as yeah. a whole. I mean, every song on here is memorable. I mean, every song on here, you know, there's just, I just, I don't know. It, it was the time. You know, I really dug that record. Um, everything was catchy and it just, I don't know, it struck me for some reason. Yeah. And I don't even remember, I had really given up on the crew. I don't even really know why I went and bought it. But, you know, I did, and, and it was way better than I really even expected it to be. Yeah, the I don't remember what the first track is, but the, one of the first songs is Motherfucker of the Year. That's great. Yeah. Then Down at the Whiskey. That's like the best song they did post, yeah. post John Karabi, without, you know, without a doubt, in my opinion. Um, What's It Gonna Take? I thought it was a great song. Yeah. Really liked that song. Just... You know, just the 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 melody, the it's just catchy as hell. Yeah. Then uh Saints of Los Angeles title Saints, track. Yeah, the was title good. track's great. Chick's good too. Chick Sequel Trouble was really good. I and like that. That they fucking do. Yeah. And they're right. Nikki knows. Yes. He's had some famously troubled. I like to go on out swinging. <clears throat> yeah. You know. That was just it was just a great record. It was really a return to, you know, good songwriting and good performance, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd literally say, what's that? One, two, three, four. I'd put it as their fifth best album. Yeah. It it is a great record to end on. Yeah. 
I mean, you put it, I put it right behind the first two albums, Dr. Feel Good and Motley Crue 94. Yeah. But I don't know if I had this out of order, but I know that second greatest hits album came out either right before or right after Saints of Los Angeles. I think yeah. it was 2009. Okay. Where they had Sick Love Song and If I Die Tomorrow. Yeah. And once again, these are both both memorable songs. Sick Love Song's more of the full of attitude Motley Crue that we know and love. If I Die Tomorrow is more of kind of like a, it's kind of a ballad, but darker. Yeah. And I mean, both are good songs and um, they kind of return to the sound in the same, you know, before Vince left in the same way that Bitter Pill and a Slave did. Yeah. Um, but also, I guess, in a way that the Saints and Los Angeles did. But I think these two songs kind of represent the early sound more than even that. I mean. Yeah. But then what? Then the final two songs were a few years later, 2013 or 14, was that song Sex, which I don't like that at all. No, I didn't care for that. The All Bad Things, I thought was okay. Yeah, that was the final song in 2015 <sighs> that they released yeah. in conjunction with the final tour. And I thought that was a really good song. But it's kind of... Sex is forgettable and All Bad Things is good, so that's your ending, basically, of yeah. these studio tracks. But anything, um, anything else to throw in here besides? I mean, we already mentioned Nikki Six is an amazing fucking rock and roll well, songwriter. I, he doesn't. People don't bring that up because they just bring up all the other shit. You know, I. He's got a radio show, which is not that good. He's got. <laughs> he's got great fucking books. He's a great fucking photographer, and he writes great fucking music. Yeah. Mick well, Mars is highly underrated. We said that, but sorry to cut you off. <laughs> let me ask you something. Are they really done? No. Okay. I don't believe that at all. But the thing is, they said they supposedly signed that contract at that press conference, but they always just said, we're not going to tour. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we can't go do a residency in Las Vegas again. I, I still think they'll do yeah. that. that doesn't it might mean even we... still be another couple of years away from that, but I think they'll do that yeah, again. Yeah, I think even more, maybe... They'll space it out a little, give it maybe five years. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they can't do a show in Los Angeles or New York or mm-hmm. Paris, France, for that matter, just as long as they're not on tour. Yep. Or when they get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. True. Because if that, that happens. It should happen. Yeah, it should. Who knows if it will. It'll probably be another 30 years. <laughs> right. The way those fuckers work. But it's the same concept of Black Sabbath. They did this final tour, but they already said before it even ended that it's just the end of touring. That doesn't mean we won't do a show now or then. Yeah. And you know that Molly Crew knows there's big money in that, so why not do a residency in Vegas? True. We already mentioned what our favorite song was. What's your favorite Vince album? Because we know Motley Crew '94, the self-titled album is your favorite album. Um, does it feel I'm good? Gonna, or yeah, it? I'll go feel good. Yeah, that'll be my vote. I think I'm feel good. If not, maybe shout at the devil. It's a close tie. But, gotcha. Yeah. There you go. Hundred. 26 songs from Motley Crue. We did it. We knocked another one out. There you go. Our Motley Crue, every album in a row that we recorded in June of 2017. We wanted to make that a part of the the podcast episodes and bring that back to you. We updated it with, you know, talking about a couple of the new tracks they did for the movie. Yeah. Uh, So there you go. Yeah. So if you like that kind of thing, like we mentioned, we've got one on Kiss, Pantera, Stone Tumble Pilots, Alice in Chains, Ozzy, Guns N' Roses, Megadeth, Motley Crue, or just, we obviously just did Motley Crue, Metallica, Van Halen, 
Pantera, right? Yeah. 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 So I think that's everything. But if you just get on our YouTube channel, you can find them all. Or if you get on SoundCloud and type in every album in a row, you'll find the ones that we've upped on there so far, which is four or five of them. And we will have one on Iron Maiden here this summer. Someday. Yeah. We've talked about doing it with Def Leppard with a few other. Tesla. Yeah. So you'll see those here in the coming months in this next year. Air Supply. Yeah, definitely Air Supply. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Dream Theater. Oh, fuck. What would you do if you had to listen to Kill Me Now? Their entire catalog. I love Dream Theater. Don't get me wrong, but that's just a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so there you go. Motley Crue. 30, what, 35 years plus later? Yeah. Nikki Six has turned into a fucking douchebag, but he's still a great songwriter. <laughs> and he's a great marketer. Oh, my God. Great businessman. I respect him on that sense. So why is he a douchebag? Just everything he says in the media is fucking ridiculous oh, now. Okay. Just, that's just my one guy's opinion. Hey, that, you're entitled if, to If that. he's listening, I'm sorry. He blocked me on Twitter a long time ago, so I can't tell him this in person. Right? Really? Yeah. What did he block you for? I don't know. We talked about I don't know. Oh, wow. One time I went to look at something. I think I was looking up to tag him or something, and it said that I'm blocked. And I'm like, I must have at one point like tagged him and said something about Vince Neil, probably. Yep, yeah. But he's not. The underground's not blocked. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'm sure after this we will be. After you yeah. called him a douchebag. Thanks a lot, Trent. That's right. I scratched that. I love the guy. Oh my god. I mean, the guy wrote "Don't Don't Go Away Mad." I know, it's one of the best songs ever. Yeah. And you're calling him a douchebag. Okay, I, 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 I retract I, it all. Okay, okay. I Formally retract apologize. <laughs> yeah. I never meant those things I said. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> right. So, yeah, check out the previous Every Album's Road. Check out all our previous podcasts with, we never had on a member of Motley Crue, but we've had on members of Tesla, Dokken, Warrant, Firehouse, Kiss, Seven Dust, Avatar, Death Angel, Crowbar, Corrosion Conformity, um, Shine Down, Saving Able. A long-ass list, so go back and check it out. 223 previous episodes you can check out on iTunes, Google Music, SoundCloud. You can get on neatthunderunderground.com. Find all our socials there. Follow us on all of them. Like us. Share this podcast and everything else. That helps us out greatly. And we appreciate you listening. Until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground, y'all.